Hello and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Jamie Wright, who's a former professional baseball player, major league baseball player of 18 seasons, and now he is currently working in the Dodgers organization. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, feel free to bring me up in your next conversation. And with that, let's take it to the conversation with Jamie Wright. But I do want to start like with the kind of what are you up to now sort of thing, like what is going on in your day-to-day life? Because not only do I not know, but I mean, I think the listeners probably want to know what you're up to now. Well, so now, um, let, let me let me go back a little bit. Uh, okay. I got on board to be special assistant with uh, the Dodgers and Andrew Freeman yeah. had asked me to do this uh, in 2016, right okay. when I retired. And... Uh, I, what would you have me do? And he, he was my GM yeah. in uh, Tampa. He said, I will create something for you. I just want you to be a part of this whole thing. And hmm. um, I kind of had in my head that I was going to go do the agent thing. Cause my agent had asked me a long time ago, we thought I was done uh, or almost done. <laughs> and I ended up pitching yeah. for like nine more years. So I did that for about three years and just wasn't really me. Um, I mean, anyway, we were out in California for my daughter's volleyball and I called Andrew and asked him if we could talk. And he said, come to the stadium right now. So I went up there, got on board to be a special assistant and then 2020 COVID. So a lot of uh, Zooms, a lot of talking to players. I actually went to instructional league for about two or three weeks and, you know, hmm. Loved it. Knew I would, you know, back around the guys, being able to talk, being able to talk shop, um, talk the mental part, all that good stuff. And then uh, they had asked me to be pitching coach in Oklahoma City for our AAA affiliate in 21 and loved it. Knew I would. Uh, a little tough on the family. Uh, you know, yeah. Daughter in high school. Um uh, so boys that are in junior high, one starting high school. So, um, so last year, uh, back to a special assistant role, um, mm-hmm. and which was a good thing because, uh, my father, uh, got a brain tumor and passed oh, about wow. four months later. So yeah, tough, tough year. Right after I came back from, um, uh, spring training, I was going to give it about two weeks, uh, get out on the road. So my job is to go uh, spend time with our, our top prospects, our pitching prospects who have a chance to mm. impact our big league club. So finishing school, if you will, more upper level thinking, um, kind of help get them ready for the big leagues um, and a mental part and also like mm-hmm. the, you know, mechanical, physical, all that good stuff. Just, uh, you know, kind of worn every hat in the big league. So anything that I can help those guys with. Uh, so I really wasn't able to do it last year. Spent a lot of time with my dad. He ended up passing um, early September. So um, excited to get back to spring training this year. So doing the same thing and spending time with, um, you know, our, our dub, mainly our double AA, A, triple A guys. So spent a lot of time mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City this year. And I actually just got back. Uh, I was there with him for a week in uh, El Paso. Okay. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of my day to day. And when I'm home, get up, watch the games, you know, still have conversations with these guys and, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of talk about what they're going through. Um, you know, what was good, what was bad, 
um, just continue to help them move the ball forward in their, in their career, mm-hmm. in their day to day, you know, find that routine, find that, um, you know, that special thing that makes them want to come crush it every day, get, be- get better every day, continue to watch the games and, um, learn, you know, even when they're, when they're not out there doing it, they're, they're still, they're still learning things. I have to say, I mean, I'm so sorry about your, your father, but I, and we'll get into family, you know, in a little bit too, because mm-hmm. I mean, that's so, you know, integral in someone's development, you know, and mm-hmm. relationship with the game. But I do want to dive a little bit more if we can into, you know, the interactions you have with your players, is that something that you're like with these players, are you kind of assigned a player? Is it all on you in terms of who you interact with? And is there an objective at hand before, or is it more so just keeping tabs on the guy checking in You're you know, you're keeping tabs on how they're performing and then finding, you know, based on performance or what they're telling you over the phone, when to kind of, you know, do your job. Yeah, kind of, kind of all of the above. Um, okay. I mean, if, if there's one certain guy that you know need to spend a little time with, um, which there was in El Paso when I just went, um, and mm-hmm. just kind of have those conversations. But for me, like the the eye test, I mean, g- getting two thousand plus outs in the big leagues myself, and then watching another six billion uh, pitches and outs. And, you know, I know what it looks like. I know what good pitches look like. I, I don't need the track man to tell me um, what's good and what's bad. You know, I know where the outs are. I know where the home runs are. I know where the, uh, the flares are. So being able to watch these guys and, you know, not rely too much on the analytics, but, you know, what you're seeing with your eyes, what, um, you know, and sometimes we need to, uh, you know, hang a, hang a slider or, or put it in a bad spot and see what that looks like, you know, see what, hmm. uh, what, what that looks like going out into the gaps, you know, find out what that feels like uh, going to cover third base, you know, to back up third um, on a O2 pitch with a runner at second, you know, I mean, all those little lessons, but I think that's where, where I come into play, where I can, you know, go back and ask questions and, you know, what were, you know, what was the mind process, you know, what, what were you thinking at this point? Um, and just kind of get into some real conversations about, you know, cause a lot of these times, you know, and I'll tell all these guys, I mean, we're always like this far off. We're never, we're, we're always a tick off. If, if something's wrong, we're not, we're not that far off, but hmm. some of these things have to happen. Uh, in order for us to move forward. And sometimes the worst games, you know, the ones where you you go back to the hotel and you're staring at the four walls and you're feeling really bad about yourself. Those are the ones we learn the most from. Um, oh, yeah. Some of those things have to happen for you to move forward. And, uh, you know, those are good conversations to have to be able to to move forward for these guys. And you, it's so funny. You said, I don't need the track, man, to, you know, see it really well Mm. now for you i believe that i don't think that's the case for everybody but it's so it's so interesting though that you mentioned that because i mean just the revolution of tech like in baseball has just totally transformed that the way that so many people approach it and like you said it's become almost a matter of how well can we predict somebody that throwing that hanging slider is actually the best pitch because it's not what's expected. So, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, 
I guess, you know, for you, you said you don't rely a whole lot on it, but I mean, I guess like, is that, is that something that's like pushed in the organization or is that something that, you know, they let you, you know, do. And like, sometimes you like to look at the numbers just to justify the, the, what your eyes are saying, or is it really more so like you get, you get all the freedom to kind of just do it the way that you like to do it. And they're, and they're all for that. Yeah, I get the freedom and, and we do push, you know, those numbers are, they are important because it kind of gives us a basis. I mean, that's how we stack up to our peers. I mean, we have, Mm -hmm. uh, statistics numbers on everything. Yeah. So it just kind of tells you, you know, like I, I know what a, uh, you know, a a zero and negative nine shape looks like from a a right-handed pitcher for a slider. Um, but also I know what it looks like when it winds up right down the middle on a two Oh count. Um, right. So, you know, for me, the mind is such a powerful thing. And if I have this, uh, this unicorn slider, but I can only land it about 30% of the time. And when I do land it in the strike zone, it's not really in a good location, then it's not really a good slider. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think having those conversations where we're talking about not only strikes, but quality strikes Mm. and, you know, for a slider, you know, being able to land one and to be able to put one for chase. I mean, it's essentially the same pitch. It's just in two different locations and having that conversation with, with somebody, you know, where, and I, it was, it was a conversation that I had with a pitching coach, you know, 20 years ago where, uh, you know, he flat out asked me on a O2 curveball, you know, what are you trying to do? And I said, I'm trying to embarrass somebody and make him swing and miss by, you know, five feet. And he's like, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. It's like, all you, <laughs> all I want you to do is, you know, lower your sights six inches. It's the same curveball, just lower your sights. So hmm. that really kind of puts stuff into perspective for me. But I mean, we waste a lot of pitches with this nasty stuff when, um, location is key and it always will be it's not old school it's it's uh it's it's fact i mean yeah the yeah, guys yeah. that don't have you know uh off the chart stuff if they put it in the right spot they're going to be successful majority of the time yeah and that's it's such a i feel like it's such a contra- not controversial but i guess it's a such a hot topic these days in terms of like you know the philosophy of pitching and what's what's the goal like how do we approach each guy in some orgs they they kind of approach it all the same way others are a lot more individualistic i would say and you know i've seen it i'm sure you've seen it too in your playing career what's been for you at least what's been the philosophy that has worked most for you or for players that you like to instruct and where you see the most or not most results but it helps players kind of see things in a, in a better way. I mean, it's a great question. What I'll tell a lot of our guys and they'll hear me say this. Most everyone have heard me say this. When you think about an outing, like I always go back to your best outing mm. and with everybody, there's one common theme with these outings, you know, as a pitcher, you're, you weren't trying to do too much. You're getting outs. You're even getting punch outs and you're not even trying to get punch outs. You're filling up the zone. Um, 
more often than not, they were probably quality strikes and the hitters just getting themselves out. And for a lot of guys, you know, we don't ever really get beat. We just beat ourselves by going mm-hmm. ball one, ball two, and then throwing yeah. a fastball in the zone that they knows coming. They eliminate part of the plate, inner half of the plate, and they're looking for one pitch in one location and that's what they're, they're supposed to hit those into the gap. They're supposed to hit those over the fence. That's what those guys get paid to do. So yeah. um, it's not that he beat me. It's that I beat myself by going 2-0 and then giving him a pitch that uh, in a spot that he was looking for. And one thing that I, I've kind of talked to the guys a little bit this past week is like, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're a blackjack dealer or you're, you're, you know, you're a card dealer and I've got, you know, he, the guy wants the two of clubs and I give him the 10, you know, he mm. wants the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the eight, he wants the ace of hearts and I give him the three of clubs, you know, every mm-hmm. now and then he, he wants the seven and I give him the seven and then I got to go back up a base. So my job is to, you know, disrupt timing, uh, change, change eyesight, uh, you know, all that good mm. stuff, but all the while, knowing that, um, you know, get ahead, stay ahead, finish, you know, if you can't get ahead, that's why Clayton Kershaw is so good. He gets ahead of everybody. Does he do it with a 99 mile hour fastball? No. Uh, does he stay ahead with this, uh, unicorn slider? Or, uh, no, cause there's guys that, you know, analytically have better sliders than him, way mm-hmm. better sliders. Yeah. But he knows how he knows where to throw it. He knows how to execute that pitch. He knows about location. He knows about good misses, um, when he has a bad miss, he pays for it. He's, he's not special. He's just like everybody else. When he mm-hmm. throws it in the middle of the zone, he gives him a better chance to, to barrel that baseball up. And so, I mean, that, those are, those are fun conversations with guys talking about like their past games. And I mean, were you trying to do too much? Did you beat yourself? No, you're just throwing the ball in the zone. And then when you got ahead, you were more quality in zone. And then everybody knows how to finish. That's not the hard part. I mean, everybody yeah. here um, in, in pro ball knows how to finish, but getting ahead, staying ahead, those are those are the two things that I feel like we need to work more on, and that hmm. allows us to get into counts where we can where we can go finish. You know, you mentioned Kershaw, and he's he kind of went through that big change. You know, being more of that hard slider dominant guy as opposed to the big you know loopy curveball, like relying on that. And I know you had to make changes in your career as well. And I want to dive into that, like what that was like, not only, you know, switching a pitch maybe here or there in a year or so, but going from a starter to reliever, what was that like? Um, Going from a starter to reliever was something I wasn't real excited about because there's no better gig on the planet than being a starting pitcher in the big leagues pitching every five days and then yeah. sitting back you know <laughs> and like for the next couple days and, um but i really it wasn't until like I, I was starter went to reliever i think it was in um uh, colorado and then i did the same thing in san francisco in 08 and then or no, 06, and then in 07, with Texas, I did the same thing. And then finally in 08, I was like, man, I better learn how to do this and do it well, or I'm going to be doing something else. 
So that was a year I really embraced it. And I, I mean, I almost liked it better because every time I came to the ballpark, I had a chance to pitch Yeah, and that was awesome to me. But you know, that, that, that routine became, you know, more important. And that first full year out of the bullpen, I ended up throwing 75 games and like 90 innings. And it was the most physically and mentally exhausted I've ever been after a season. Cause I literally saw every pitch of the season. Cause if that starter in the first inning was, uh, you know, if he loads the bases, nobody out. I mean, I'm over there going, like, oh my God, yeah, like, yeah. here we go. Like, mm-hmm. It could be me. I don't know if it's, you know, but I, I ended up oh. turning into the guy. I could go in there and get one out or I could go in there and get 12 outs. So that was mm-hmm. kind of a fun transition um, for me going from starter to reliever. Um, but I mean, the, the arsenal is ever changing too. Um, yeah. and I, it, it was cool because I had, I had a conversation with Kirsch during, uh, I think it was, they had the lockout, um, was it last year? Uh, yes. maybe, well, in, in, anyway, uh, there was a game one, it was his debut against, uh, the Cardinals hmm. and, you know, pitched a great game, all that good stuff. And he's like, you know, what a lot of people don't know is that and I struggled after that game and I got sent back down. And he said, if I didn't learn a slider, he said, I don't know if I would have ever got back to the big leagues. So, I mean, for for guys that have, you know, a fastball and one other pitch as a starting pitcher, it makes it really difficult to go, you know, pitch deep into games with, when, you know, because if you don't have that curveball, which he didn't, you know, after that debut, you know, he couldn't land it. Um, he needed something else that he could go access the zone with. And for me, being a sinker ball slider guy, and then all of a sudden now I get to Colorado and my sinker's not sinking as much and my slider is backing up about half the time, you know, okay, now I need something slower. So try to teach myself a curveball. Um, and then towards the end of my career, or really at the end of my career, now all of a sudden instead of a sinker slider, now I'm a cutter curveball guy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're the hitter, the hitter will tell you what, you know, what you need to, what you need to do better. Uh, yeah. You know, what pitches you need to throw, what, what you better tighten up. And, um, but then also the cool part about learning a new pitch. I mean, those are the lessons, you know, when you give up the, uh, you know, the hits or the hard hits, you know, the, 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 um, weak contact is what we look for, but when you don't get weak contact, you get loud noises out there. It, it, it tells you real quick, okay, this is not a that that pitch, that location, like uh, that. That's not what I'm looking for. So you figure out where the weak contact is, where the swing and miss is, and you know that's our job is to put it in those spots. And that's what I tell everybody: like control what you what you can control. You know, learn to control what you can control, and that's how and where you throw the baseball. Those are the two most important things. When it leaves your hand, unless that thing's coming right back at you, I mean, you 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 have no control <laughs> after that. So you better put the focus, dial the focus up real quick. You know, real quick on you know where it's going and how it's getting there. So yes, can you elaborate on how important it is? to pay attention to what the hitter is telling you in an at-bat? And maybe when did you learn that that was something you could like build on and use to your advantage? Um, I think early in my career with that sinker, um, 
you know, and it wasn't until uh, Gary Sheffield probably hit a six home run off of me and like 24 at bats and I'm throwing <laughs> absolute, you know, chainsaw sinkers up there. Uh. But that was my ego telling me like, I want to beat him with this pitch hmm. um, and kept serving it up there, kept putting a good spot and his swing was, I mean, it was right into his swing and he's got the quick bat. And I mean, I kept having to go get a new ball from the umpire after this guy left the batter's box. So <laughs> Um, you know, really it was there where like, okay, um, you know, certain guys you're going to be able to go use the same sequence with the same pitch with, and you use it until they tell you to pit, to throw something different. Yeah. And for me, I mean, that was my stubbornness coming in. Like I'm going to get him out with this pitch. I am going to make him swing and miss. Hmm. And this dude wasn't swinging and missing. So, uh, right, you know, there it was like, okay, I need to – there's certain guys where I have to do different things with. And, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much we all know their names. You know, Tawny, Trout, you know, trade. You know, there's certain guys that, that you got to mix it up with. But for the most part, about 85% of the guys, I'm, I'm going to go get out with my stuff. You know, hitting is still hmm. very, very hard. And we are – famous as pitchers for making things harder than they need to be. So if I go execute my pitches, um, I'm going to get a lot out. And then those special guys come up, you know, pool holes, Miguel Cabrera bonds, you know, junior, you know, a lot of those guys. Okay. I can't just throw the same pitch in the same spot and I expect, you know, the same results. Like I'm going to be yeah. Yeah, up yeah. there, uh, uh, you know, these guys will be up there checking their phone in the third inning uh, after giving up five runs if they're not careful with those guys. But I don't want them to be careful. I want them to be, you know, smart and focused and aggressive mm -hmm. and quality strikes and then quality misses. Um, and that's kind of the name of the game is just not to miss, you know, over the heart of the plate uh, when you're ahead in the count or when you're behind in the count. When you're behind in the count, that's where typically uh, – you know, big damage is done when you're ahead in the count, you know, Oh two, that's where, you know, the flare or, you know, they're late on a fastball, but it was right down the middle and they shoot it down the other way, you know, for mm -hmm. a double. And that's how, you know, snowballs into big innings sometimes. Can you talk about that feeling of hearing the phone ring when you're in the bullpen and your name being called and having to control that just flooding of adrenaline in your body? Because for me, yeah. I mean, that was something I had to work on, you know, because yeah. I, I did the same thing, switching, started to relieving in pro ball. So that, and that's something I had to like really, really work on. Can you like talk yeah. about your experience with that? Well, and I mean, you should embrace it because mm -hmm. after baseball, you can't get that adrenaline from hunting, fishing, uh, maybe jumping out of an airplane would be, would be pretty, I haven't tried that, but haven't done it. Haven't done it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's such an awesome feeling and, you know, everything leading up to it is part of the routine, you know, mm -hmm. for me, like I know I'm going in this game, you know, all of a sudden I've got to pee three times in three innings and I don't know why. And that's just my, you know, my adrenaline going and I know I'm about to get in this game. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, doing the stretching, doing the, 
you know, the weighted balls or whatever it is, but you know, that's me wanting to be prepared. And Hmm. when you're prepared for something, good things happen. And I'll tell a lot of our guys, you know, the hard work is all the little things that no one else sees. That's the work, like going, the gate opens, you run out there to go compete. That should be the fun part. And all the preparation I've done leading up to that uh, gives me the confidence to go out there and have fun while I'm doing it. Hmm. But as far as the phone ringing, um, managing a bullpen is really, really hard for, for every single manager. And I've only seen a couple do it really well where Hmm. uh, the phone rings and one guy goes like this and they kind of know it's them. Um, And then the eighth inning guy knows the closer always knows. I mean, that's easy, but uh, when you've got the long guy, you kind of know your role and the game goes such that, you know, really there's one guy that knows it's going to be him. And that that's when a bullpen is working, you know, clicking on all cylinders. But mm. when that phone rings and six guys go, you know, that that's when it's mad chaos. And it's just yeah. like, you know, everybody's got the adrenaline and nobody oh. knows who's, who it's going to be. And that's where, yeah. you know, bullpens struggle. You know, it's better if there's one guy that's, you know, going like this and they know it's about to be them. Uh, but when it's six or seven guys down there doing that, that's that's a recipe for disaster. So Ugh, yeah. um, it's it's really hard to manage the bullpen for a manager. So I have a lot of respect for the ones that 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 do it really well. I can't even imagine doing it honestly. And I've thought, you know, in you know the future, like if I wanted to get into coaching, like being a pitching coach and managing a bullpen, how difficult that would be. Because I've been in the I've been in that dugout or not dugout that. Uh, that bullpen where there's seven or eight guys stretching their legs right now. And I'm thinking like, is the pitching coach really considering all eight of these guys right now? Or what's going through his head too? (laughs) I hope not. I mean, or, or, or the phone rings and they, they, somebody's name's called and they're not even down there. Like that's, that's happened. That's happened uh, in several of my bullpens. I'm just like, I'll do it, (laughs) you know? So yeah, oh, man. it's uh, always interesting. The bullpen is always a, a exciting, uh, fun, interesting place that where you learn you learn a lot a lot of things down there. And you got to do pretty much every role from long relief, you know, fireman in the first inning to get you know get it to the fifth to you know setup guy to close like you closed games too. I'm assuming. I mean, you did it all, right? I got a I got a couple saves. I mean, I was it yeah. was later in my career, so I mean there were guys that threw, you know, threw the ball way hard. I, I mean, I think I, I think I would have enjoyed that role. Um, yeah. but it was way at the end and I didn't, I didn't have, um, you know, the fastball to that a lot of the closers have, but I mean, I've gone in there with bases loaded and got one out. I've gone out there. I think I threw six innings in relief one time. Oh, um, I came in, uh, 2013 when I was with the Rays, I uh, came in in the top of the, or no, excuse me, the bottom of the eighth in uh, Fenway and they're doing the sweet Caroline, all that stuff. I think it was a two to one game. We were ahead two to one. I get up there to face David Ortiz. I go first Mm. pitch cutter, broken bat, roll over to the first baseman. He goes and steps on the, you know, 
And then Joe Madden came out and brought in a different right-hander to get the next two right-handers out. So I turned oh. into like the left-handed specialist who throws right-handed. So, yeah. so like every <laughs> single role, I think, you know, and I've been a setup guy for a little bit, um, but, you know, every role is, is, is different and fun, you know, being out there is fun. And that's what I tell, you know, like you got to scratch and claw and fight your, for every single day that you spend in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. But to do that, you know, you got to be prepared and you got to be confident. And when you have confidence, uh, you throw the wrong pitch in the wrong location, you're going to be successful more times. than if, you know, you're sitting there doubting yourself and you throw the right pitch in the right location and the hitters, they can just smell it. You know, they know when things aren't right. They know your, your body language, you know, you're putting your head down you're walking around, you're, mm -hmm. you know, I think the pitch clock helps with that a lot too. Cause you just get, get up there and you're oh, you know, rapid yeah. fire. So they don't really have a chance to look and see that, okay, you know, we got runners at second, third, nobody out. This guy's like, out there talking to himself, like, you know, as soon as he throws, I'm going to wait and I'm looking for one pitch and he's going to give it to me. And, um, you know, they're just different mindsets. The hitter has a, you know, has a mindset just like the pitcher does. So, mm -hmm. you know, our job is to stay on the attack and be confident and our ability to, to go get outs. And when you got confidence out there, it goes, it goes a long ways. Okay. You brought up the pitch clock. Now I got to ask. I mean, do you have an opinion on the pitch clock? Is there is there something, you know, is there a way to kind of make it not such a, a burden on you? I because not every pitcher can can be like, oh, get on the mound, go. I mean, some guys they're real slow, you know, up there. Yeah. And they need sometimes they need that like little mental reset, a little bit of time between pitches to to like really stay focused. Is there any advice like you can give for guys like about the pitch clock or or like, do, yeah, I don't know, like what your take is on kind of just the nature I, of the I mean, pitch clock. Yeah, my advice is to throw it before that clock hits zero. That, that's, my, yeah. <laughs> that's my advice. And, you know, yeah. I, for me, and I, I remember in my career, like when things are going well, I'm pretty fast. When things yeah. aren't, you know, speeding up, like you take a little more time. And that's like I said about the hitter, like being able to see that they they mm -hmm. they can smell those things when you're walking around the mound and you're you know trying to figure it out. You're trying to uh, uh, you know you 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 want to keep this ball this inning from snowballing. Um, you mm -hmm. want to minimize damage. Um, so to be able to get up there um, and deliver a pitch and make it quality and stay focused, um, I mean it's a skill. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of these guys, um, I mean, I think it needed to be done because the length of the games, um, totally agree, but I, fi I figured it would be, you know, a few in the big leagues, it would be a month or two. Uh, and then it would just be like, you know, like breathing. I mean, they would, they would just, you know, a few times they would, there'd be a violation and it'll, it'll piss, you know, the pitcher off or the manager or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, before too long, it'll be like, we've done it forever. Just like everything else, you know, the bases are a little bit bigger, you know, yeah. after a while, it's just part of the game, but you know, the game for the game to evolve and for young people to want to watch it and watch a full game and not, you know, 30 seconds of a game and, and walk away because it's, you know, the, the, the pace of the game needed to, needed to pick up. And um, yeah. I think it's a good thing, but 
Um, guys can gripe about it all they want, but you know, you can't tell me it's, uh, seeing two hour, 20 minute games and two and a half hour games. And in some cases, you know, under a two hour game, I mean, that's, that's, that's good for baseball. That's good for our fans. Um, so, uh, you know, after a while it's, it's just, it'll be like, you know, this, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. And, you know, yeah. if, 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 if you want to be, if you're good at your, if you want to be good at your craft, you'll find a way to adjust, you know, no matter what they throw at you. Totally. And you say it's like a skill in terms of actually like not only learning how to pitch with a pitch clock, but also to, you know, go out there and have good body language and, you know, exude confidence. When did that click for you? Mm. Maybe it was younger in your career, because, again, you were drafted at high school, correct? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, because a lot of guys maybe learn that in college, you know, when they're, you know, when the coach is yelling at them and telling them that they have bad body language, that's what happened to me. So Mm. when did that click for you? I mean, I don't know if I ever, there was ever a moment where I, I, I remember it was my, it was in 98. I, so 96, so it was my third season. Um, mm. We had got a guy from Houston named Daryl Kyle, who was, I, w- I would call him my mentor. Uh, Daryl mm. Kyle, actually my, my daughter's middle name is Kyle after Daryl Kyle. And he passed after a game, uh, false fell asleep and passed in his sleep um, hmm. when he, I think he was 32 years old uh, when he was with the Cardinals. He had just, he had just thrown seven innings and, uh, and one, I think two days before that, but um, it was a course field. And I remember him coming up to me after a game and sitting me down and talked to me, he said, I don't care what happens during that game. He said, don't ever, ever walk off that field with your head down always. And I, I never, that's one, one piece of advice I got that I never forgot. Um, Hmm. I always walk off no matter if I give up five runs in an inning or I go punch out the side in the inning, you know, I walk off and I'm, I, I put my head up and I look at the crowd and I let them see my face. And, Hmm. and that, that, that one little thing that he told me made it, it just, it made a big difference about who I am, what I'm doing. This is hard. Some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. Be the same person. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Mm. Um, you know, have a short memory, whether you do well or, you know, whether you, whether you have a rough one, um, there's always work to be done. There's always the next game. That's what you should look forward to is the next game. You should look forward to the work that you're about to put in the next day on day one. Um, after a great outing, um, after a poor outing, should be working a little bit harder even. So, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it, I don't, I don't want to say anything ever clicked, you know, where, where I just knew body language, you know, I tried not to show a lot out there anyway. And I think that mm-hmm. was kind of the old school players, you know, you don't, you, you weren't too flashy. You weren't, I mean, I wasn't even allowed to wear sunglasses in spring training my rookie year because, you got to earn that, you know, I wasn't allowed to sit on an airplane my rookie year. Uh, I had to get up and serve everybody. Um, uh, you know, (laughs) one of the veterans, we were in a restaurant one time, one of the veterans made me get up and sing the national anthem in front of an entire steakhouse, um, you know, just to mess (laughs) with me. So, I mean, there were certain things that went on, but I mean, I I wanted Mm. to be seen and not heard. I wanted to be, um, I mean, I wanted to be good, but I wanted to, um, 
I wanted to be good in here more than anything, I think. And that's, uh, you know, have that confidence because, you know, that's one thing my dad always told me how, how important that confidence is. And, um, you know, how do I, how do I find it? How do I keep it? Um, how do I make others around me confident? You know, Mm -hmm. I can get in and get out of an inning and 13, 14 pitches or less. We're having a lot of fun. You know, but if I yeah. go out there and throw 26, 30 pitches in an inning and everyone's, um, that's no way to live right there. So Ugh. try to go make it, try to make it quick and easy. Yeah. That's so funny. You're talking about the, you know, the rookie things that you had to do. It's almost like a test in a weird way. It's like testing your, your toughness in a, in a funny way. I feel like there's a little bit of a lost art there and it's not, it's not as prevalent or at least in my experience in the minor leagues, I don't see it as much. Uh, there's, it's a little bit more individualistic, I would say. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of difficult. It's like, how, how can we build that in, you know, in our team, in our players, you know, can you talk a little bit about like some of the teams where you, you were, or the common characteristics of teams that you were on that were successful? Like if there's anything that kind of, sticks out where you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is probably what most of the good teams do right here. Yeah. I, I think, um, being prepared, you know, I got to play mm-hmm. with, uh, be teammates with pull holes, uh, bonds, Sammy Sosa, Ichiro, Larry Walker. Um, I mean, I played with a lot of really good players and I played on some really bad teams. I played on some pretty good teams too but one of the best teams one of my favorite teams was was uh tampa in 2013 and i mean Mm -hmm. i'd say david price and evan longoria were our two superstars you know um but they weren't you know randy johnson and uh you know whoever they uh, you know the hitter but but the yeah. the cast of characters was such that no one was above anybody else the 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 chemistry and the culture were like something I'd never seen before. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of fun. Uh, it's always fun when you win, but you know, everybody picking each other up. Um, uh, you know, we had a relatively young, uh, starting pitching staff. Mm. Um, we had some veteran guys in the bullpen. Um, but I mean, when you expect to go win, when you walk into the clubhouse knowing that you're going to win, that's a, that's a feeling like, and that, and in, in LA, my first year in LA, and that's, that's kind of a lesson that I'll talk to our young starting pitchers. Like you want to develop into the horse, you know, the guy that when you walk into the clubhouse, everybody around you knows like we're going to win a baseball game and, mm. Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, you know, me being in the bullpen, I knew when he came to pitch that day, like I could practically walk down to the bullpen in my shower shoes. Like I didn't have to pitch because he was <laughs> going to go eight. Kenley Jensen was going to throw the ninth. We were going to win. And I was going to be able to sit there and enjoy a nice baseball game in about yeah. two hours and 20 minutes and watch us whoop up on somebody. And then when, you know, Kersh would struggle, then it's like, Oh my God. You know, then I tried to get ready, get loose and it didn't happen very often, but you know, those are the lessons of the game 
And like you mentioned a while ago, I mean, everything's a test. Everything is a test um, to see if you're ready, if you're prepared, if Mm -hmm. you're focused, um, if you've been working hard, if you've been doing your conditioning, if you've been, you know, because, because as soon as, you know, as a bullpen guy, as soon as you, um, you know, put your feet up there and kick back and relax, you know, that phone, phone rings and the manager just decides to put you, you know, it's, you know, the baseball gods or whatever you want to call it. Like <laughs> you're always tested throughout your career yeah. in certain ways. And, you know, our job is to, to try and be prepared and be ready, you know, the best we can. Is it the preparation that turns that guy from a, okay, you know, he, he, we got so-and-so starting today. Let's see what happens to, we got this guy starting today. I'm feeling good about our chances. Is it the preparation? Is that the, would you say that's the biggest piece? I think one of the hardest workers I've ever seen, uh, not one of the hardest worker I've ever seen is Kershaw. And he, so the guys like Walker Bueller and Julio Urias and Tony Gonsolin and now Bobby Miller, mm. um, they don't, they'll never know that nugget of uh, being able to watch him every five days go about his business, uh, mm. the professionalism, the cheerleading on the bench. Like he is, he is the Dodgers biggest cheerleader. Um, he is one of the nicest guys I've ever met for four days until that fifth day. <laughs> he is an absolute animal. He is a different person. He is a killer. He is a, uh, master of the strike zone. Um, and he has been for a lot of years now, but that work that he puts in, I mean, that's a confidence thing for him that he knows he expects to go out there and pitch nine innings. That's the work that he puts in. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for our young guys, uh, you know, are you going to pitch nine innings every game? No. Are you even going to pitch seven nowadays? No. But if you go prepare, like you're going to pitch nine innings, like good things will happen, you know? Hmm. And I think once you get to that level and, you know, I saw it with, with uh, David Price and Felix Hernandez and, you know, a lot of different guys, um, but they're, they're prepared. They, 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 they put the work in so that there's no, you know, surprises come uh, game day. They, they go out there and they do what they expect to do majority of the time. I've heard about Kershaw's preparation. It's down to the minute, right? And it's hours oh, yeah. and hours before he even steps foot on that rubber, right? Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean, and I'll tell our young guys, like, if you want to see something impressive, um, go out there at seven, seven thirty AM, um, on the day he's pitching or, you know, just in spring training, go, go peek, go around the corner and watch him doing dry work. Well, he's doing dry work on the mound, but he's also visualizing these hitters. So, you know, when he faces, uh, uh, Nolan Arenado, you know, in the middle of June, you know, when it's hot in St. Louis, that's not the first time he's done that. He's been doing that all year. He's been doing that every morning. He's been, you know, certain hitters. So, I mean, there's just a, you know, um, but that didn't come overnight. I mean, there's, there, there's no mm. blueprint. I mean, that's just certain thing, kind of like an off season, um, you mm. know, making tweaks to your, to your, um, to your program, you know, your, 
your your strength program, you know, your conditioning. I mean, you got to find that's the hardest thing is to figure out how to stay healthy for a 162 game season mm-hmm. and yet be ready to take off once October comes. And there's not too many people that know how to do it, you know, and mm-hmm. somebody told me about Jeter, like, man, you know, the grind to him uh, playing. I mean, he basically had to play an extra month, you know, every year. And I said, no, the grind is coming and trying to bring it in January or in July when you're 20 games under 500. Like that guy was having the time of his life. He yeah. got to play in October <laughs> every year. And he's a big reason why they got to play in October and why he, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he has those rings because he found a way to be successful and to mm-hmm. uh, not be like, you know, declining health wise and uh, stamina wise come October. He was, he found a way to shoot through there and mm-hmm. excel uh, come October time. And it's funny because people just in general, they want that, um, that one size fits all solution, but that's just not the case. The way that I'm going to be, you know, a successful player, you know, at any point in my career is going to be different than Kershaw's way of, you know, preparing and his routine and what it takes for him to be successful. So I, and I would assume, you know, your, your way of doing it too, is going to be much different from Kershaw's as well. So is it just like the simple experimentation of it? to figure it out. And obviously it'll take time, but is that the best way to go about it is to just really keep an open mind and just kind of try new things and see what sticks. Yeah. I think finding what works and always tinkering, um, with a, uh, with a routine. Um, it's funny cause you said one size fits all. And I automatically thought about the track man. Um, mm, okay. And, one size fits all with, uh, you know, this horizontal, this vert. And if we can get this into that, well, I see the same pitch in a good location and then I'll see the same horizontal vert and a pitch, not even close. Hmm. So I know that one doesn't get out. I know that one gets out if I can throw that one more. Um, but in order to get the out, you have to be able to go out there and execute Hmm. and, uh, command the zone and get ahead, stay ahead, finish. Like I said, everyone knows how to finish, but I think, you know, sometimes that thing gives us a false sense of security. Like we're measuring stuff. Okay. Well, stuff is only going to, if you got really stuff, good stuff, you're going to get away with more mm-hmm. um, in yeah. the strike zone. But if you're constantly two O and you throw, you know, you throw the ball 99 miles an hour, you throw ball one, ball two, and you throw it right down the middle at 99, it will get hammered. They can time a bullet. Just yeah. like if you throw three sliders, you throw ball one, ball two, and you throw that, you know, nasty slider right down the middle, they will hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there is really no one size fits all. I don't think there ever has been. I don't think there ever will be. You know, some guys have short legs, long torsos. Some guys have the opposite. Some guys throw with the wrong hand. Some guys throw with the, you know, so it's just finding what works for you and going all in on that. And I think Hmm. um, finding what works well for you is the hard part. The even harder part is when you get to the big leagues and you see 
Jacob DeGrom throw a slider and you say, oh, I want that slider. You see Clayton Kershaw throw a curveball and like, oh, I want that curveball. That's uh, negative 16 and zero, you know, and yeah, go be the best version of yourself always. And you find Hmm. three pitches and three different locations that you can throw and you can execute them about seven out of 10 times you're going to be really, really successful. Oh yeah. But if you, but if you get behind and you throw uh, that pitch right down the middle, the hitter will let you know really quick. It's, <laughs> it's not good enough, you know? So yeah, uh, yeah. finding, but those are all things that we have to learn. You know, you just yeah. have to, you, you have to experience it Um to not want to do it again you know you have to get yelled at by your manager because you didn't back up third base and that run scores uh, to not ever want to do that again you have to walk a guy let him still second you know practically walk to second because I was a 1-8 to home um, and then give up the ground ball to second the sacrifice fly to the right fielder the guy mm. scores and I didn't even give up a hit like nobody even hit the ball hard, but I got an earned run. You know, yeah. you have yeah, to yeah, experience yeah. those things to get pissed and not ever want those things to happen again. It's the the failure being so useful in our development that I feel like most people who are young, you know, high school and below, it doesn't really, you know, they don't realize that yet. You know, maybe once they get to college, a coach kind of just tells them explicitly. <laughs> Like, hey, feeling is good here, okay? Like, it's not a bad thing. You got mm-hmm. to take it with a grain of salt. Now, I don't know about you. I was, you know, baseball was my thing. I knew it was my thing growing up. I didn't fail a whole lot. What was your experience with baseball, like, growing up? Was, did you know you wanted to be a baseball player from the jump ever since you started? Like, what was, just what was your relationship with baseball like? From the jump. I mean, I played yeah. baseball, football, basketball. Basketball okay. is probably my favorite sport to play. Um, mm. Football, as soon as I got to junior high, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't like I, I like I, I enjoy a good football game. I don't enjoy football practice. Oh, um, man. Ba- baseball was my time to shine. That was I throw mm-hmm. the ball harder than everybody. I know it. They know it. I mean, yeah. I, I we had a little brick wall right by our uh, front door. And I mean, I had a tennis ball and I'd throw that ball up against the, uh, up against the wall. Um, you know, I mean, a billion times and it'd shoot back at me. And that, you know, actually I turned into a pretty good fielder doing that too. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny cause uh, Michael Young, uh, I tell a story about, uh, I think Cliff Lee had a, a similar, is either Cliff Lee or Cole Hamill's, we're talking to and he said his dad uh you know drew a chalk on this brick wall and he would throw it and i told michael young i said we couldn't afford chalk so i would just throw it <laughs> to the whole brick wall you know so i said i'd have been a better pitcher i'd had better control if we would have had like a you know if my dad would have put a piece of tape up there i would just throw it yeah. up against the wall so he he thinks that's the funniest thing ever but um you know i knew that's what i wanted to do um mm-hmm. Things weren't were different back then because I knew I was pretty good. 
but you know, with the draft, I had no idea. I had no idea where I was going to go. I mean, we had teams start talking and all that good stuff. Um, but I mean, it wasn't until you sign your contract, you go to rookie ball. And then my first year in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, my first a ball, I'm 19 years old and I'll never forget it. I go seven and 14 with a 5.97 ERA. And I mean, I was garbage. I was terrible. <laughs> um, and I was a heavy sinker guy. It wasn't until, you know, four or five years later where somebody told me, you know, I gave up 188 hits and 140 innings that year, but I think I only gave up like 18 extra base hits. I was about to say they're all so singles. Not, yeah, they're all singles. And I, but mm-hmm. you know, at the time when you're looking at your ERA and your record, you're like, Oh, I'm getting killed out here, you know, but I, yeah. so, uh, but I mean, that was a big pivotal year and off season because that told me like, you know, nobody's going to, give me anything in this game. I'm going to have to go fight, scratch, claw for everything that I get. And mm-hmm. I'm willing to do that. Like, so that, that next, that off season was a big off season. And I, and I worked, you know, I was always a pretty hard worker, but this was on a different level that, and that's where mm-hmm. the work ethic comes in. You know, the lessons, you know, you get punched in the mouth enough, you're going to, you're going to start punching back and, um, preparing in a different way and tweaking your off season program or whatever it is. So, hmm. you know, and then good results the next year. And then the following season, that's where I made the jump. I started double a called up to triple a and then got to the big leagues uh, right before the all-star game. So, hmm. and then that, and then there's a whole new set of problems after I got called up. In I was Colorado about to say, cause I was about to say, yeah, cause I'm, 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 I'm a sinker ball guy and sinkers uh, don't sink as much there. Uh, yeah, yeah. slider, which I thought was a plus slider that turned out to be, uh, um, you know, not very good and, and, and thin air. So, uh, you know, there, and, and then apparently half of baseball is on steroids and I'm 21 years old pitching in Coors Field. So, uh, there was a whole lot of challenges, oh. you know, there's, there, there was a whole, whole bunch of things going on that, uh, mm. um, you know, they're, they're fun to talk about now, but at the time, you know, when you're not when you, when you're, when you're used to, uh, succeeding or being pretty good and all of a sudden, like you're facing, you know, the best hitters in the world and, and, um, and you're not having the success that you want. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at, at the leaderboard and you're seeing Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Randy Johnson, and you want to be one of those guys, you want to have those same numbers, but yet, you know, you pitch half your game in course field, it's, it's tough. It's tough mentally, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that's what I'll tell, you know, mentally I'm, I'm I like, I'll throw my mental toughness up against anybody I've ever met, you know, because of those experiences when I was young pitching in Colorado, Ooh. which is still my favorite ballpark on the planet. Cause it's the most beautiful okay. and I, I still one of my favorite places to pitch. Okay. I just wish I would have been, I wish I would have had more success there. I wish <laughs> it would have been a lot better because yeah. Um, when I was there, it just opened up and I mean, we had 52,000 people, rain, snow, it didn't matter. Like they came to watch and it was awesome. And when people hear 18 years in the bigs, they might think, oh yeah, glamorous. That's fantastic. Oh, just a cakewalk. You know, this is, this is awesome. But I mean, how many times in your career did you sit with yourself and say, like, God, do I want to do this anymore? Or like, is this, 
like, am I done? Am I at the end of the, I mean, the amount of times that you might've hit a point in your career where you're like, gosh, like this is, this is not fun. I do not enjoy this right now. I mean, how many times has that happened? Um, not very many. I mean, I, for me, okay. like as a starting <sighs> pitcher, well, I mean, cause I love to do it. I mean, I love to go out there and compete. I love that sure, yeah. adrenaline of the phone ringing. Um, the family part and being away from the kids part is, you know, and that's mm. what, you know, I've told like Kershaw, even when, you know, when Cal, you know, when your kids get school age and they have to go to school and they don't come out to spring training with you, they don't, uh, come out, uh, and it's different now because everybody flies everywhere and we've got, you know, um, home, you know, whatever. I mean, he's got, enough money to do whatever he wants. I mean, he could start a school in his house if he wanted, but um, that's when it gets tough is when you start spending more time away from the family. So those are mm -hmm. the ones that, you know, especially after bad game, like, Ugh. but I mean, as a starting pitcher in my mind, I always thought like I could go win 20 games in the big leagues, even though I never got close, um, never even got close, but Mentally, I always thought like I always saw myself as one of the big guys, you know, the guy, the, the names that I just mentioned, like, I mean, I pitched against Greg Maddox. I was two and oh against Maddox. I beat Glavin. I beat uh, Kevin Brown. I beat, uh, you know, so in my mind, I always saw myself um, like I could go do this. So, I mean, there was a constant drive to try and go do that, even though I never did it. And then and uh, as a relief pitcher, you know, I always saw myself like I want to be in that leverage spot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I wasn't. I was in low leverage. I would go pitch, um, you know, towards the end of my career, especially like, I mean, if we were up by four, I'd pitch the ninth inning. So we didn't have to use our closer. But I mean, that's an important spot. You know, that's mm -hmm. an important, you know, to be able to go throw up a zero so we don't have to use our uh, our closer or, you know, early in the game to go stop the bleeding, you know, you're the guy or um, seventh inning, you know, up by three or down by one, you know, so, I mean, you kind of um, cherish all those situations that you get to go experience. But, you know, for me, it was an important, it was an important role. And I knew I was an important piece of that bullpen, especially towards mm -hmm. the end, because I was like, a pitching coach, a real estate agent, a marriage counselor. Like I had a bunch of different hats in that, in that bullpen, which I loved. And I loved being able to talk shop and talk about life with these guys and make those friendships. So I never, I knew every year could be my last. So, I mean, I really, uh, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I knew that, um, you know, you need to cherish every year and every city and every team and every relationship that you have, because, I'm going to be uh, not a baseball player for a lot longer than I was a baseball player. And those memories and those, those, those friendships, I mean, th that's, that's the part that I cherish the most and being able mm -hmm. to impact somebody um, in a certain way, just by being positive, by, you know, helping motivate them, you know, though, and watching people succeed. I mean, I think I got more joy out of watching, uh, Todd Helton make, you know, a gazillion dollars playing baseball 
um, and knowing that I had something to do with it because I was his friend and we would have talks. Uh, ben mm-hmm. Sheets, the same way, you know, Brandon League, whoever it was. I mean, those are those are cool things. But I never, you know, I, I, I was I always felt as corny as it sounds, I always felt pretty fortunate to be there. But I felt like mm-hmm. I, you know, like like I could pitch till I was 45 years old or whatever. Um, as long as I, my attitude is like, as long as I can get the ball all the way to the catcher's mitt in the air, like I'll find a way to get an out. Yeah, yeah. It might not be pretty, uh, <laughs> but you know, mentally, you know, I still almost feel that way. Like, give me a ball. I'm going to go give up a bunch of runs, but I'll find a way to get three outs you know, yeah, somehow, yeah. some way. So, um, so that's oh. kind of my long answer to that question. No, but, that's, a, that's a great answer to that question. Um, and you, you talked about, you know, like the relationships that you've built, like with just, a, am assuming tons of players throughout all the teams that you've played on, but it is the same dynamic when, you know, a high school player has to go to his college team or gets drafted and is introduced to a whole bunch of new people. So, and you had to do that a lot. You had to, you know, be introduced to a whole new group of guys and, you know, become part of a team many times in your career. What did you learn about that? Did you get better at doing that as you had to keep doing it? Can you just walk me through like, you know, the little, the I, little kind of guide on like how to, how to make a presence? Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I actually got really good at that because <laughs> yeah. for eight years in a row, I signed a, uh, a minor league deal with mm-hmm. an invite to spring training, which means I have to go win a spot mm-hmm. in, uh, in spring training. And, you know, at some point you start thinking, okay, you know, week two, you know, now I'm 35 years old. Now I'm 30, you know, six years old. Now I'm 37. At some point I'm going to tweak my calf, you know, week two of spring training, I'm going to miss three weeks and I'm going to, I'm going to get cut. Um, mm-hmm. It was in 2010 when I was with Seattle, um, or excuse me, 2011 in Seattle. I told, excuse me, I told myself, you know, if I don't make this team, I'm at peace with it. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, I'd already had 15 or 16 years um, of getting to do this and felt very blessed to do it. But as soon as I let go like that, that was the first year I, I, I think I threw in 11 or 12 games in spring training. I didn't give up a run. Like I was, I just kind of let go and hmm. it was one of the better seasons I've had in my career um, in 2011. And then that turns into one more year uh, for LA. Um, and then I go pitch in Tampa and then I come back to LA and get a chance to experience the playoffs in my last two years. Um, but you know, for doing it as long as I did. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like totally blanking on the question. Now I'm sitting well, there thinking about well, all just these like, experiences. Yeah. Just, just like what that's like kind of being introduced to a new team and how you can oh, make a oh, good yeah, yeah, first yeah. impression, yeah. you know? So, yeah. See, see, it brings up a little trauma. I forget what I'm, what I'm <laughs> saying, you know, having to go do that, having to go win a job eight years in a row. But no, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. What, I, what I really wanted to say was um, mm-hmm. what I learned was uh, 
and ironically, I kind of did this in the first one and it's just go in there and be a good teammate. And I mean, I'm competing against these guys and some of them have been with the organization for four or five years. Some of them are, uh, you know, other veteran guys coming in competing against me. And I just thought about karma and how I want to, you know, if I don't make this team and what they're going to say about me when I walk out the door. And Hmm. I wanted to be the same person. I wanted to be a good dude. You know, I'm going to go out there and compete when I'm on the field, but in that clubhouse, like, um, like I'm going to do everything I can to help somebody, um, you know, Hmm. be it a grip, be it a situation, be it an experience. What would you do here? And one of my coolest things that happened in my career was, uh, Josh Lindblom, him and I were, um, uh, competing for the last spot in the uh, bullpen for the for the Dodgers in 2012. Hmm. It was like eight eight guys competing for this spot, um, and I think it really kind of came down to him and I. And um, but I mean, I think we played catch that spring. Like I mean, I think he had a locker. We got to be really close. And I mean, I'm trying to teach him everything that I know. He's got questions. I've got answers. I've been around. Um, but I really wanted the best for him. And sure enough, I can't remember who it was that got hurt, but we both make the team. Hmm. And he told me that he had talked to his wife and he said, like, if it came down to it, he was hoping that I would make the team because when he got called up, he wanted me in that bullpen. And it, it was just a really like cool thing to hear somebody else say about you. Um, but I mean, yeah. he had a monster start to that season and he was one of our, hmm. uh, he was one of our dudes out of our bullpen and he ended up getting traded um, to Philly. I'm trying to think of who we got in return. Um but, it's posted somewhere. Know, yeah, yeah. Probably baseball reference. I'm sure we can look it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like knowing that you had, you know, like you you had an impact. And mm-hmm. that's what I always thought of myself. Like I, I want to have an impact in the clubhouse, you know, with guys because I'm a nice guy, because I'm approachable, because guys can ask me anything. But also, you know, I've been been around the block you know, a few times and I've worn a bunch of different hats. So, you know, to be able to pass and that, you know, that goes right into coaching, you know, to be Mm -hmm. able to uh, talk shop with somebody and really know what you're talking about and have those experiences. And, but to also look somebody in the eye and say, um, you know, that slither that you think is really good. That ain't (laughs) it. Like you can be, it can be better. You know, location can be better. The shape can be better, whatever. Like I do know what it looks like because, you know, because of being around the block so many times and seeing, you know, what pitches get outs and what pitches don't. That's interesting. It, because you said it's like, um, it's almost like a family in a weird way. Like you kind of have to like, because again, you guys are spending so much time together. Every team mm-hmm. in a weird way is like a little bit of like a family. And the closer yeah. you get, I mean, the more good that seems to happen. Uh, weirdly enough, you know, you see, you mentioned karma yeah. and I'm like, I'm very much about that too, you know, mm-hmm. kind of just bringing like the, the good energy kind of into the world, you know, yeah. and it, it's it, just the world has a funny way of 
you know, reciprocating it, you know, big that's all family, that's all big say. family, big fraternity. Um, and I've had a few guys where, you know, the ones that aren't rooting for you, you know, they, they stick out like sore thumbs and those guys don't stick around for very long. You know, the, you're a big cheerleader for everybody. Um, you're the first one up on the step, you know, congratulating somebody when they just pitched a great game. Um, when they got a shutdown inning, when they came in and stranded your runners, um, all the, all these little things matter because they're important to the person that's out there for their development, but also, you know, to create a culture where, you know, everybody's, you know, pulling on the same rope, so to speak. Um, I mean, those things don't go unnoticed. They don't go unnoticed from front office. They don't go unnoticed from the coaching staff. Like we, we, we know who's, who's pulling on the rope and who's Mm -hmm. you know, a me guy. And, um, they're just, they're, they're little lessons, but I don't know how, I think just from being a good guy, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to try to help everybody and do everything I can to help you know, whoever it is, but, you know, some of those young guys, I mean, they really stand out because, you know, like I said, like watching some of my friends, you know, go make a whole bunch of money playing baseball gave me more joy than, you know, getting a few outs myself. Um, Mm. uh, So that, that's just part of the, part of the journey too. And to carry that into now being a parent, you said you, you know, which I found this very interesting. You said you kind of like to, you know, lean back, not dive too, too much into the, you know, the travel ball and the youth baseball and the perfect game events and stuff like that with your son. But I'm sure there's some questions that you've answered that he's, you know, some guidance that, that you've given him, you know, in this, you know, youth baseball world. Can you dive into that a little bit? Some of the, you know, the main things, I guess you would, you would promote, you know, that he, that he learns about as a young player in baseball. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the old saying, what you put in is what you get out. Um, it's really true because, you know, when you start seeing a little success, um, you should be hungry for more. If you're struggling, you should ask questions. Uh, I think just being a constant learner is so mm-hmm. important because, you know, the younger generation – um, thinks they already know everything, which they probably do because of smartphones and technology, and they're all smarter than me already because of everything at our fingertips. But being able to tell them that you have to have these experiences, you have to get knocked on your ass every now and then because you got to know what it's like to get up. Um, and sometimes the more you get knocked down, uh, the quicker you want to get up. Um, Mm. so going to the gym, going to do the workout and, you know, for me being able to tell that story or being able to tell these, these players, these young players that it really isn't about the work is not what's done out on the baseball field. The work is done, you know, back in the trenches where no one, no, no fan will ever see that. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn to love that part of the game, then you're, 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 you're going to find yourself in some pretty exciting situations and know how to get out of those because you've already put the work in and it, it sounds weird, but I mean, it really is for me, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, going out there and competing should be the fun part, but yet go out there and compete and some guys can't breathe. Uh, it speeds up on them. You know, they can execute this pitch, you know, a certain amount of times in a row and all of a sudden, you know, bases loaded, uh, full count and, you know, a big miss. Um, it's just another slider. You know, you're going to throw another million more of them. I think you've heard me say this before, but we put so much emphasis on a certain pitch instead of just and enjoy the moment and go execute a pitch. It's just another pitch. Hmm. Has your perspective changed since you've stopped playing or is it, have you always seen it the same way? Both, you know, when you're watching professionals or watching your son play. Um, no, just cause I think I've always known how hard the game was. And when mm -hmm. I talk to people, you know, I don't deny that and how, uh, it, if I knew then what I know now, things would be a lot easier. Um, but sure. you know, when I, when I talked, I don't, I don't, I try not to talk like I know all this stuff because I mean, it's, I know it because I've experienced it and I've been knocked to the floor a whole bunch of times. Um, keep getting up, keep getting up. Um, but also, you know, some super, super talented guys um, that can't throw the ball in the strike zone or have troubles. You know, it's like, you have to experience these things. You have to have that seven and 14, with a 5.97 ERA uh, year to mm -hmm. really want to go continue to, to do the work and amp it up four notches or five notches or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. um, what we do is really, really hard. Um, but then like, I mean, think of how hard hitting is. I mean, it's, that, that's <laughs> even harder. I don't even want to. And even want why to do I want to give them, why do I want to give them so much credit? Why do, why do I want to uh, make it easier for them? So, I mean, just trying to, but that's the cool thing about coaching now is at least in, hmm. in my organization, I mean, it's very collaborative and you might talk to four or five different coaches. And if one cue sticks from what, then we've done our job. Um, you yes. know, instead of the old school, this is my player, you know, nobody talked to my, you know, my pitching staff, nobody, you know, I know everything. And those days are dead. I mean, there's too many ideas. There's too many, too much forward thinking, you know, and sometimes you got to throw a bunch of stuff up against the wall and see what sticks. And mm -hmm. if it does, um, and we can advance, you know, our pitching department, um, that's a good thing. Uh, if we get through to one player, you know, then that's a good thing. And if one certain guy does it and nobody takes the credit for it, everybody just wants to help players. And then you have something very, very special. Um, and I think that's kind of what we have going on right now. And it's been fun to watch with a lot of these pitchers. Um, so, you know, we'll keep throwing that stuff up against the wall and keep having conversations and sometimes, mm -hmm you know, uh, a conversation with a, the guy you wouldn't expect makes a difference, makes an impact. Um, so, you know, my perspective is, I guess it is a little different um, than I said, but, you know, the old school is not really old school. They're just baseball fundamentals and, you know, even uh, – even Pedro Martinez wasn't very good at striking guys out when he went ball one, 
you know, that's right. a, that's a fun conversation to have with guys like, uh, mm-hmm. Yep. You know, he's got a two to one strikeout ratio. And then uh, when he throws strike one, he's got a 12 to one strikeout ratio, you know, and looking hmm. at those numbers just tells me like, why am I still trying to strike guys out when I go ball one, ball two, like get right back in zone and either give up your hit or get your ground out or pop up. But the best person I've ever seen throw a baseball wasn't, wasn't even very good at that. So, um, hmm. you know, it, it, just sitting there being a student of the game and trying to learn as much as you can and being able to talk shop with guys. I mean, some of the, some of the greatest things I ever learned about baseball had had nothing to do with even throwing a baseball. And, you know, hmm. you can't learn that, you know, scrolling through your, through your phone or on your iPad and, you know, you still oh. have to have those conversations. And that's what I encourage like our coaches, like keep having conversations, keep having conversations with guys. That's how you learn. So what would the advice be for other parents with younger players in, in the game today? Um, for development, like don't bash them when they struggle. Like mm-hmm. that's part of the game. Um, you know, and we've heard like the car ride home. Don't, you know, <laughs> tell them how terrible they were. Uh, because yeah. I mean, I to this day I've never seen anybody go out on the mound and not give it everything. That nobody wants to be embarrassed. That's not that. That's human. We don't we don't want to go out there and have people boo us and tell us we suck. And you know, everybody gives it everything they have. Sometimes it's not it's not good enough that night. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes we punch out three, but we're talking to ourselves uh, after the inning, you know, because we hung that one pitch or we hung two pitches and got away with them. You know, everybody thinks differently, but for parents to watch, um, you know, their kids. And one thing that I would always, that I told myself, and I remember my dad telling people Mm -hmm. this, like I'll always be proud of where he goes and not disappointed about where he didn't go. You know, and that was with college. That was with uh, anything. You know, I'll always be proud of, you know, um, the work that he put in and where he wound up as opposed to where he didn't get to go because, oh, he didn't do this or didn't do that. Like, um, you know, I think just being supportive, you know, as parents being supportive and encouraging them to to work, you know, be mm-hmm. be useful, be be, you know, do something with your with your day. And that's a battle that I have with my boys because the video games are prevalent everywhere. Um, they're, they're, they're popular in this house as well, but, um, you know, there are things to do there. There are lessons to learn and some things you got to get out there and fail to learn those lessons. Yeah. And uh, you know, you want to get your mind off the, the actual game. Sometimes you got to detach, decompress, whatever it is, but there's no way to go back and cheat it. You know, there's no cheat codes to this game. It's not a video nope. game. It's real life. You can't cheat it. Yeah. You can't go to the right camp and have, you know, someone rank you the, you know, the right way. And then you magically get the offers or you get the interest that you want. It's like, yeah, especially with technology nowadays. I mean, like everything's so clear cut. It's like, there's, yeah. there's no, there's no, you know, backdoor to yeah. the, to world eight and super Mario bros. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, you can't there's, do it. There's, there's no blueprint in this game. And, you know, uh, Strasburg actually just popped in my head and 
you know, I guarantee he'd, he'd, he'd trade a lot of that money right now to be healthy and be out there competing with his team. Um, yeah. you know, the way his journey, uh, Kershaw, um, you know, he's probably mad cause he's not, you know, 25 anymore. Um, you know, there's always, you know, sometimes it's just such a humbling game. Um, and sometimes, you know, an injury is, is the humbling part of it. Um, you know, that happened with Kirsch, you know, with his back a few years back, like, oh, yeah. and there's nothing worse than watching people play, um, and not being able to do it yourself. So, um, because it's such a humbling game and it's such a hard game, like there's no, there's no blueprint for it. There's no, you know, there's, there's no way to be able to sit, you know, a set of parents down and tell them you need to do this, 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 and this because, Mm -hmm. um, because of injuries or, uh, you know, a thousand different things, uh, something's going to derail that, that program, you know, that perfect program that somebody sets. And, um, you know, for us as athletes, I mean, you know, your body better than anybody and you got to continue to listen to your body. You got to continue to, um, you know, your body will do amazing things if you just make it do it. Um, yeah. But also you got to be smart enough to listen when you're overdoing something or when you're underdoing something or whatever it is, you know, you, you we're as individuals, you know, we got to kind of figure out our, our own specific blueprint and hmm. people can give suggestions, but at the end it's, you know, it's us that's uh, that's got to go out there and, and step, you know, step between the lines and, yeah. You know, we should, we should, uh, uh, put the focus and take it serious and not that, you know, everybody takes it serious, but, you know, put, put the time and effort. And if you, to get to where you want to go, you know, all those things are necessary. Yeah. It's being intentional, I guess, about what you do in a yep. way, right? Purposeful practice. Being yes. intentional. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Wait, let's get to these like little rapid fire. Cause you know, I, again, I don't want to take too much of your time, but you already answered this first one. It's kind of funny. Uh, like your favorite major league stadium to play on. It is Coors Field. I think it's the most beautiful, uh, ballpark. Okay. They did a great job with, uh, favorite stadium to pitch in, um, yeah. was always Wrigley until I went to Fenway. Fenway is just a different animal. The yeah. energy, the, uh, the, the fans, I mean, uh, it's just, it just, it just hits different. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a pretty awesome place. Okay. Do you have a favorite minor league stadium to play in? Um, this is, yeah, always, this might be tough. I'll, you know what? I always actually like playing in Oklahoma city because that's okay. where I grew up. Um, I had mm-hmm. a bunch of really good games there, uh, through a few shutouts there. So I would, I would probably go back to that one in, in Oklahoma city you know, just because of the feeling part and having my family there and having, you mm-hmm. know, friends and family get to come watch me pitch. So I always toughest, enjoyed that one. Okay. Toughest fan base to play against. This could be major or minor. I mean, e- either one. Um, toughest fan base, probably, probably Boston for me. Okay. Um, and I always, like I said, I always enjoyed Wrigley because it was always a day game. It seemed like we were always there on the weekends. I would always have friends come. So it was like, but I mean, the people in the stands are always like there for, it was more like a social gathering and they're in the stands drinking beer. And they're like, oh, there's a baseball game going on too. 
right. Boston is like from pitch one to the last pitch. Like those fans know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will get on your ass during in the bullpen when you're warming up. They have things to mm. say. Uh, they're right there too. They're they're right on top of you, yeah. which is part of the experience, and that's that's awesome too. So I mean, there's uh, you know, it's just when when you win a game in Boston and you go into that tiny clubhouse, there's no better feeling in the world. Uh, but then yet when you lose and you go into that time, there's, there's no worse place to be on the planet oh, than man. the clubhouse after you, after you get, after you you know, after a tough loss, especially. That, that was going to be one of my other questions is uh, like, what's, what stadium has the like most extravagant, like away facilities? Cause I've heard some um, are, some are not so glamorous. Yeah. Uh, Wrigley, Wrigley and uh, Fenway were, were the, you know, not surprisingly the oldest stadiums, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, and I think they've since redone Wrigley. I'm not sure about, um, about Boston, but uh, Colorado, very spacious, uh, you know, clubhouse, uh, visiting clubhouse. Um for me, it was always about the feeling because, I mean, hmm. I did love Chicago uh, being everybody's on top of each other after a win, you know, and that's why you go, you know, you want to get those W's because then it's fun because you're all crammed in there together and, you know, there's yeah. energy and, and all that and all that, but it sucks when you, when you lose. <laughs> but um, uh, I thought um, we were looking at that the other day. I think I pitched in 46 different – 46 different ballparks, 21. I, I got to see 21 new stadiums be built. Coors Field, my oh, first whoa. ballpark in 96, is now the third oldest ballpark in the National League uh, behind oh, Dodgers, Dodger Stadium and uh, Chicago and Wrigley. Yeah. So there's all <laughs> these new stadiums uh, popped up right after I got to Coors Field. It was the it was the newest, and then all of a sudden now it's the third oldest. So, um, huh. so there's a bunch of new stadiums, and and typically a lot of those visiting clubhouses are are pretty nice. Do you have a favorite city for food? For food, um, I always enjoyed going to Chicago. Chicago was always a lot of fun because, like I said, yeah. you got to you got to go have like a normal dinner at night. Um, you know, friends and family were were there majority of the time, so that was pretty mm-hmm. cool to be able to go out there. Um, I mean, L.A. is it was always a lot of fun too. I mean, find a way to go out, and we had friends that lived there, and we always had a really really fun experience in LA. Okay. Two more. Do you prefer spring training in Arizona or Florida? I got 23 spring trainings in Arizona and only one in Florida. So really? Yeah. I Wait. had one, okay. one spring training in Florida with Tampa in 2013. Every other spring training I've ever been a part of has been in Arizona. Because uh, I, I did, to... I thought about Tampa and I'm like, okay, Tampa's Florida, but who else on that he played for was in Florida. Cause I kept Nobody, yeah. nobody. That's crazy. So, yeah. Okay. Arizona's Arizona's the king, uh, as far as I'm concerned. That was okay. uh, I got pretty spoiled and had some, uh, and I think eight of my spring trainings were actually in Tucson with the old, uh, oh. old Colorado. Like when I was in minor leagues down in uh, High Corbett Field, which is the uh, that that was the field that they used for the first major league movie. 
uh, with Charlie Sheen and oh. and all that. They they played in High Corbett Field, and this place was it definitely wasn't new. It had been around it had been around for a while. And you guys but, were bus yeah. to Phoenix for games? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh jeez, yeah. I've done that drive. We, I mean, it's two ish hours, but yeah. yeah, about two. No, we'd go. We'd bus up to. Uh, uh, Phoenix for, for away games. And then they would bust down to us to, to play, you know, to play us. So mm. yeah, that was a experience too. But I mean, even the weather, it was always pretty like this spring training in particular, um, cloudy, cooler, ton mm-hmm. of rain. Like I remember a 10 year stretch where it did, I don't think I saw a cloud and it definitely did not rain for like 10 spring trainings in a row in Arizona. So that's why this year was so weird. I'm like, eh, what's going on with the, yeah, what's going on with the rain here. And it I was mean, weird. Wasn't it? Yeah. Come, come mid. I mean, in the past come like mid March, I mean, it, it already be up to 90 degrees and it was always, you know, just, they were always perfect days. So yeah. uh, this was one year where it was a little, it was a little weird. I'll take Arizona over Florida though, for sure. Like I, I'm in the same boat, no doubt. Yeah. Um, okay. Last one. This might be actually kind of a tough question. Now that I think about it in your entire career. What was your favorite pitch to throw? Uh, my bread and butter was always my sinker. I mean, that's okay. what got me, got me drafted. Um, yeah. Got me to move up every level um kept me in the big leagues for a long time and and uh i mean i threw it my entire career um had to had to find some new pitches to throw for sure uh yeah some 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 things that moved a little different than a sinker but that was definitely something that i always kind of had a natural uh running action and then kind of learned to put a little uh finger pressure here or there and to make it make it do different things but I mean, if I got it out front and didn't try to do too much with it, like I said, like us pitchers are famous for trying to make it harder than it needs to be. Um, and then I get to the big leagues and I see like Kevin Brown sinker and oh, I want to do this. I want, and mine was always really sexy on TV because it had really big movement and it's like, mm-hmm. Oh man, the, but it's also hard to control. And the best ones were yeah. the ones that I could barely see that came in and went straight down you know, instead of this, you know, horizontal movement, it was, it was coming, coming straight down and it got about, you know, a foot from the, from the bat and it would start to do its thing. And it's like the straighter it was for the longer, the better it was. So that was always my favorite pitch. That was, uh, that was, that was the one that got to uh, allow me to stay around for as long as I did. That's so funny. You called it old reliable too. Cause I feel like everyone kind of needs one. Everyone needs an old reliable mm-hmm. in a way, right? Well, you need an old reliable in a location that you can pull out of your back pocket in your sleep, no matter what, and go be able to access the yeah. zone with that pitch. And solve so many problems. It, we'll think about having three of those pitches now, three different oh, pitches, yeah. like call it fastball, curveball, slider, or fastball, slider, changeup. If I've got one in that location, one in that location, and one in that location. You know, now I've kind of got that triangle thing working. Um, being able to throw a fastball to all four quadrants—that's that's that's that'd be great in a movie. But you know, <laughs> Clayton Kershaw can't do that. You know, Max Scherzer can't do that. You know, the best of the best 
that if you ask them to go access one spot, they're going to be pretty good at it. And that's why they've been so successful. But, you know, especially with your fastball, being able to um, identify where it plays the best, mm. that can do amazing things for not only your confidence, but your career and, and finding out um, how to go access the zone. And, you know, if it's, if it's a spot where it gets, you know, crushed every time, then yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta change some things. Like I said, the scoreboard and mm-hmm. the hitter will dictate kind of everything you throw, but the ability to go um, repeat it and throw it, you know, seven to eight times out of 10 uh, and then to be able to go, but we always want what we don't have. So now all of a sudden now I want a backdoor cutter. I want a, uh, you know, so we practice these things instead of getting, you know, uh, purposeful practice that we're going to use in the game. And, mm. you know, if I've mastered this, then, okay, you know, it's time to, you know, work on this, but I guess essentially you're always trying to turn your strength, your weaknesses into strengths. Yes. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we get, you know, a little, little outside of the, the, the box, uh, more than we need to be sometimes when just three pitches in three locations, I'll, I'll take that in my cards and I'll, I'll, I, I can deal with those all day long and it's pretty simple, but yeah, um, that it works, you know, every now and then, like I said, you, he, he wants the ACE, you give him the ACE and there are times where it's just, you know, me against you, that competition, um oh oh fastball here it is here it is see how far you can hit it oh you pop you popped it up or you fouled it off okay good for me yeah now now i should have you now i got i got i got three more cards that you have no idea where they're coming but um you know every now and then you're you know they're they're gonna they're going to hit that ball over the fence and you're going to be pissed off about it. But, you know, to have the ability to get right back up there and go right back in the zone, that's, that's the secret. You've, you've answered everything, Jamie. This has been a pleasure. (laughs) Yes. Seriously. You you killed that. I mean, good good on you. Like I I appreciate, I don't know how many, again, podcasts you've done, but this was, you, you did a great job. This is awesome. Good. Thank you. No, I enjoyed it, man. No, talking shop and talking pitching is, I mean, it's, there's so much to learn. Um, It's such a mental, uh, it's taxing, but it's like, Mm -hmm. you know what, if, uh, if, if we can just remember to have fun. And I mean, sometimes that's like the, like I'll, I'll, I'll go someplace and tell, tell somebody that like, Hey, don't forget to breathe and have fun. And that goes a long way. You yeah. Know? We forget. Like, we forget. We're, uh, you know, and I don't want to say, uh, no, I won't even say that, but I mean, yeah, just the, the, the saying of we make it harder than it needs to be, or we, mm. we, we give the hitter too much credit. You know, that's where all those sayings can't come from because, you know, I don't ever really get beat. I just beat myself, mm-hmm. but how, how do I, not make that a habit how do i not get into that pattern how do I, you know and i'll tell you know have you ever thrown the perfect pitch and most most people will say yeah I'm like yeah we do it all the time like but why can't we just mentally you know demand that out of ourselves and not try yeah. to make you know the perfect pitch uh more perfect or try to embarrass somebody with a pitch you know why don't we just execute pitches so um mm. 
it's fun, man. It's for me, it was a fun, it was a fun journey. Uh, it was a fun ride, but like getting to learn all those things and have all those experiences you know, that even the bad ones, even the ones that, you know, I wanted to go home and, you know, cry, (laughs) but, uh, or, or, or I'm out, or I'm out on the mound and I'm looking for a rock to crawl under there, there, there aren't any, there, there aren't any rocks big enough to, I've, I've looked, I've looked plenty (laughs) of times, but that's the fun part of the game is there's nowhere yeah. to hide. You can either throw strikes or you can't, you can either catch a ground ball or you can't, um, you can either hit or you can't, you know, uh, that's what makes the game so special. Like in mm. basketball, dude, I can just get the ball and pass it. I can dish it. I can dish it. And no one yeah. will even know if I'm a good shooter or not, or if I can, you know, if I can rebound or whatever, like I, I can hide somewhat in the game of basketball Yeah. Uh, on that, on that mound, there is nowhere to hide. And that's <sighs> kind of the, that's kind of the cool part about it. Oh yeah. That's, it's like a, I mean, it's why we love the game. Don't get me wrong, but Oh man. Yeah. Like everything you're saying, uh, I'm just, Oh, it'll it'll drive you mad too. uh, It'll it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. You know what? That cool, bud. Yeah. Let's call it. That was great. And I want to talk to you really briefly after we sign off, but that is going to do it for this week's episode of player to prospect. And we will see you next week. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for the episode with Jamie Wright. I had a great time talking to Jamie. He is so knowledgeable, not only about the game, but as a player, as a coach. I mean, parents, he knows it all. I mean, it's it's just so impressive. And honestly, it was a joy for me to have that conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed listening and watching that conversation. If you did, share it with someone. Just, you know, word of mouth is big. I talk about it. Whatever. All right. Have a great rest of your day, guys, and we will see you next time on Player to Prospect.